the world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. VoiceAmerica.com welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now here's the host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Hey, I want all of my listeners to know and my SurfNet family to know that I've really missed being on the air for the last two months. And I bet that the engineers really miss me, right? Huh? Chris? Give me a hooah. All right. Um, thought I'd come back with a bang, so I brought in a very special guest to spend an entire hour with, the Honorable Barry Goldwater Jr. Hooah. Aren't you lucky? I am so lucky. Okay. I can still be in bed. <laughs> you know what? You could be. Yeah. You know, we can make believe. Thank God you nudged me this morning. Oh, my God, I'm glad I did. Yeah. I think Kirsten did, too, as a matter of fact. I wish. You have a lot of nudgers. Um, let's, uh, I, wanna, <laughs> I just want to say that this man, the Honorable Barry, okay, has dedicated his heart, body, and soul to Congress in Los Angeles County for 24 years. Everyone knows he's been born into politics. Let's have some fun. Welcome. Thank you, Cindy. It's nice to be on this uh, celebrated show talking to millions and millions around the world. Um, you're a personality to be uh, content with. You're a hard woman to deal with, but a lot of fun. <laughs> and you know what? You're extremely easy to deal with. Well, I, you know, I started out with nothing, and I still have most of it left. There's a lot to be said for that. Actually, I, um, I met Barry, and I actually... I've become very attached to him. I think he's adorable. He's cute. He looks terrific. If people were able to see him right now, he's wearing a gorgeous, fashionable tie. You got all dressed up for me. Well, you know, what can I say? I'm just an extraordinary person living in an ordinary time. Yeah. Do you think it's ordinary, Barry? Absolutely. Just like any other time in the, any other time in your history. Not in my history, but in the history of the world, things don't change too much. I think they that's have, right. They have a way of repeating themselves time and time again. Unfortunately, we don't we don't learn. We don't study the past. The past is the prologue to the future, and uh, unfortunately, we tend to ignore it. But things we're dealing with now. I remember when I was in Congress uh, 30 years ago. We were throwing money at welfare. Yeah. environment, yeah. all kinds of problems, and we still have them. And That's so tell you the money went nowhere, right? Maybe it's not money is not the answer. Maybe it's compassion, com, uh, community. Maybe it's commitment, pride, pride in yourself, pride in your family, pride in our country. And uh, maybe what we need more than just a lot of money is some good leadership, uh, getting out there. The resources in this country, belong, are in the, we find them in our, in our people, and we need leadership that kind of stirs that emotion serves that, uh, that individualism to get up and do something for ourselves and for our community. Who's the last leader, do you think, that had that kind of passion? I Talk don't know. about I, on a presidential level. I don't know. I think uh, John Kennedy uh, was a good leader. He stimulated a lot of people's thinking and passions. Ronald Reagan, I think, did, had, a, had the ability to communicate and, and also uh, uh, got people to follow. Uh, I don't know if we really had the kind of leadership, though, that we that I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I what do you what's your opinion overall? It's a big question, but I know that you could handle it in micro bites. Bush administration overall. 
Well, I, here I don't think uh, President Bush is measuring up to that leadership uh, uh, standard that I'm looking for. Uh, I wasn't around, but I think uh, Franklin Roosevelt used to have fireside chats once a week. He did. Talking about the war. I think President Bush should be doing this. He should be communicating more to the people about the situation as we face a new threat uh, called terrorism. It's not just a threat to us, it's a threat to all peace-loving people. But we need somebody to, we're sitting out here as individuals not having all the answers. We need somebody who's going to talk to us. And I think the, the President should be doing more of that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There seems to be not only a lack of communication, but there seems to be some dishonesty as well. There are obvious... Be careful now. Okay, well... You don't want to call people dishonest unless you've got proof. I don't have... It's only from what I read in the papers and examine in the news because I'm a news junkie. And it just seems to me, and maybe you could give me a historical perspective, and maybe it's because in the world of the Internet there's too much information out there, okay? But um, there's things that seem to be discovered by the news and not and not communicated by the president himself. And then the president seems to be put on the defensive with many issues, like the beatings that went on in Iraq and all of that kind of stuff. He had a backtrack. He had a backpedal, you know, reactive press conferences rather than proactive. So from a media standpoint, I'm curious about your opinion on that. Well, let's be, let's be real frank about this. If you wanted to be president, you should have run for president. Mm, I, it, it's great to sit in the back bench and uh, bitch and moan and complain. Mm -hmm. if, if, and when it, or if you didn't do anything about your vote or your ability to get out and campaign. Right, right. You know, we elect one president. We put him in office to be our leader. He has all the information to make the decisions, and we've got to put some kind of trust. And it doesn't matter whether it's uh, Clinton or Bush or who it is. He's our president. Right. And uh, we can sit back here and, and throw, throw darts at him. But he's our, he's our president, and we've got to put some trust and faith in it. It's really our government's only kind of government we have, and it's not perfect. And 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 the great freedom we have is to be able to throw brickbats at our president, yeah. at our Congress, at our leaders. But by golly, over over 200 years now, uh, it's been a pretty good country. We have the highest standard in the world. We have the most freedom in the world. We have so much to be thankful for. And yet all we can seem to want to do is just bitch and moan and complain. And I think we ought to take a little more pride in our country. And, and yes, criticize, but uh, give the man a chance. Uh, no, I think that's a good point. Would you, ta talking about criticism, would you say from a historical perspective that there's a lot more passivity in the masses politically than there was in the past? It seems to me that a lot of people do bitch and complain and all that kind of stuff, but they're not even voting. What's your What's your insight on that? I don't think people are passive today. Uh, you see, uh, there's a lot more uh, targets for people to get excited about mm -hmm. than perhaps there were back in the 20s and 30s. You know, um, Today, our presidents and our members of Congress and our politicians all run on promises that they're going to do things. Right. Uh, especially at the presidential level. And then we judge them for the things that he's done. Back in the time of Calvin Coolidge, he ran on a platform of doing nothing at the federal level. That's Government, uh, in those days, 
was uh, given to the local communities and right. local governments. We ran our own lives. We took care of our own selves. But today, uh, we all uh, look for those promises of what the government's going to do. And, uh, there's, and with all the information we have, it's... Uh, yeah, people, people aren't passive today. There's always something for somebody to bitch about. Okay, but what can they do more constructively? Let's, let's take a more constructive approach. I mean, you seem what's to... The, what's the, what, what should they be doing? Yeah. Uh, who am I to tell what people what to do? You know, uh, they should be involved right. as much as they possibly can. And it's hard when you're raising a family and you're working and what have you all day long to, to get out there and, and become a leader of the local education uh, organization, the PTA, or get involved in the city. Uh, there's so many problems that we could all be involved in, and we should be. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, gets back to leadership. We've got to get a leader who's going to ask him to ask us to follow and get out there and, and get involved in Neighborhood Watch, get involved in supporting your local police and fire department, get involved in helping people who are down and out and on the street don't have a home or don't have a, any food to, to eat. Uh, if each of us did a little bit more at the local level, we wouldn't need all this, this federalism. We wouldn't need all these, these huge welfare programs. I was down here just in Arizona, just in Arizona. We have over a million people who are on, uh, who are on the uh, uh, Medicaid program. In other words, health, health the, the, over a million people are on public dole for, he- for health insurance. Mm-hmm. Cost is four billion dollars just in Arizona for a million people. So on a federal level, you can only imagine. Well, it's, it's I mean, we, I can't imagine trillions of dollars. No, it's um, and it, it's it, the, the the government is best as one that governs least, and the and the closest the government is to people, the more responsive it is. I can walk down and talk to the mayor and the city council, but I can't walk back to Washington D.C. and talk to my Congress or my president. Right. And I, I, I you know, federalism is all about local government. Thomas Jefferson uh, said that the government that's close to the people is the best kind of government, and that's why Calvin Coolidge ran on something doing nothing. In other words, take care of your own business at home in your own local areas. And it, it oftentimes disturbs me, for instance, when the Supreme Court gets involved in the question of eminent domain, where it allows government to take your property. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's, that's not right. It ought to be done here at the local level. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And um, I, I like the Calvin Coolidge analogy. It's, um, it's perfect. Did he really, when he ran, though, did he say that I'm actually going to do nothing, use those rhetorical exactly, words exactly. to get more local people involved? He was kind of libertarian himself then, He huh? was a libertarian. Okay. <laughs> he was a libertarian. He did, he, and uh, he didn't, he, he didn't, he, the only thing he did was give a little, little support to farmers, but he, he didn't really like that. No, no. Uh, he, he, um, he uh, avoided any kind of welfare or transportation or aid to this or aid to that. He said, "This is people. This is the job of local local government to take care of." And that's that's when this country was really great. All right, now well, everything is centralized, and and that's what socialism is about. I know that's right. Well, we're going to come back and talk more about local involvement, and we're going to talk about your years in Congress and how you were effective that way, what you got involved with, what you're proud of, what you think you did right, and what other people should do on the local level to mirror your success. Okay, we'll be back in about three minutes after our commercial break. Thank you. 
solid programming, outstanding shows. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties. Festivals. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E! Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rackandrollentertainment, that's R-A-K-N-R-O-L-L, entertainment.com, or call 1-818-597-0700. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio. Rack and Roll Productions, we do it all. www.rakandrollentertainment.com. Have you put down the morning paper in disgust because they weren't reporting what you wanted to read? Have you wondered why there aren't more women's voices in the news? Well, so have I, and we're about to change that. This is former Minnesota State Senator Ember Reichgott Young. I hope you'll join me for a new radio show every Thursday all about women on the move. We'll look at what's missing in the news, the issues often ignored in mainstream media, like how does Social Security reform really affect women? Why is the Department of Labor proposing to stop collecting workforce data on women? What role will women play in Iraq's new government? We'll create that debate right here. The Ember Reichgott Young Show will have prominent women you know and inspiring women you don't know. We'll share stories of women's leadership, courage, and vision. We just need you to be part of the conversation. So join us for the Ember Reichgott Young Show every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time. It's all about you, women on the move, on voiceamerica.com. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Health Masters with your host, Louis Moss. Each week, Louis will bring you the latest health and lifestyle breakthroughs, as well as bring you the Health Masters Spotlight of the Week. So get healthy with Louis Moss and Health Masters every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet talk radio. Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-888-335-5204. Now back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. Hey, welcome back. We're having a great time here with the Honorable Barry Goldwater, Jr. We're talking about all kinds of things. And most importantly, what I like is Barry just cuts to the chase. You know, what we, we know we have problems, but he has solutions, and we're going to hear more about it. Talk, let's talk, continue to talk about government on the local level. Talk about your years in Congress. What do you feel that you did that was most impactful and could be mirrored by our future leaders that you changed? Or are you encourage the communities to change? Well, Cindy, I served in Congress 14 years, from 1969 to 1984. And uh, that was the year that we had the oil embargo, 1973, where everybody was lining up the gas pumps. That was the beginning of, the, of our concern for energy independence. I was assigned to a lot of the energy committees, and I, even though I was not an engineer, I got involved in creating the Department of Energy and funding all the research programs that were going on today, wind, solar, and what have you. 
I think the most important piece of legislation I uh, authored and had passed was the Privacy Act of 1974. Uh, Ed Koch, who was in Congress at the time and, and is the former mayor of New York City. Know him well. You do. Loved him. Wonderful guy. And Sweetheart. He, well, he and I were the co-authors. And it was interesting because Ed Koch is from the liberal left and a Democrat. I'm from the conservative libertarian right, Republican. And we were able to get together and agree that pro protecting our privacy was absolutely imperative. In fact, we both concluded that without privacy, our constitutional freedoms cease to exist. So we tried for the first time in the history of our country to codify the concept of privacy. In other words, uh, your right to protect personal information right. that's in our in government files, in all kinds of files, uh, to be bandied about and sold and delivered and invaded without our permission and without our knowledge. And so the Privacy Act was kind of the beginning of the fear that I think is in a lot of people today when we hear about identity theft, we hear about uh, uh, our, these uh, credit bureaus selling our name and personal information uh, for mailing lists so mm -hmm. people can bombard us with commercial crap. Telemarketing. Telemarketing. I mean, this is this is your your name, your address, your your date of birth, your social security. This is part of our personal property. This is, belongs to us, and no one has a right to use it or to abuse it without our permission. And yet, it's wholesale being done today, and it's it's a shame. And if people don't get alarmed and start s sounding off, pretty soon it's going to be like that frog that you drop that you put in a, uh, a kettle of water and turn the fire up, and before he can jump out, he's cooked. And we're, our, our privacies are under under attack today. But that Privacy Act was probably one of my best pieces of legislation. But I was involved in a lot of things, like uh, I represented a lot of the movie industry, and I stopped the federal government from producing uh, audiovisual material uh, and, uh, and, and, and required them to use... Uh, Hollywood and, and New York and the, and the talent that we have out there, uh, instead of using uh, in-house bureaucrats, you know, uh, the government doing their own. The federal government is the largest producer of motion pictures in the world, even bigger than all of Universal and Warner and all. Sure, the sure. RKO General is a perfect example. They were in cahoots with the government and got a lot of government funding. Well, it was you know, it was so. it was a rotten deal, and because I represented so many of those people, I took an interest in what the government was doing and found out that they it just it sort of grew. Every agency had to have their own camera, and pretty soon their own movieola, and pretty soon their own soundstage, and pretty soon they were producing movies. And, and, and going around Hollywood, going around uh, the professional talents. And so I stopped that uh, right in this track, and uh, I was very proud of that. Well, you should be, and I'm sure that Hollywood appreciates it. And I think, unlike... I didn't get my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, though. That pissed me off. You know what? Shit, you know, it costs about... I think it costs about $3,000, and we could all raise it for you. Let's start a campaign. I think we should. I want that. you to get your star I'd on like the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah, I'd like to you know, but they are viable, you know. I mean, it's not even... Only like, you would know that, Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to buy you one. Oh, <laughs> well, you know what? Let us know. We know you just had a birthday. Happy birthday. Um, you have to let us know a critical anniversary, and maybe we could tie it into something. Who knows? Get well, me. I'm still waiting for my uh, for some public uh, reaction to my arrival on Earth. But, uh, 
So maybe you can you can you can I, head up the campaign. <laughs> I'd love to do that. I think that your arrival, well, particularly in Arizona, it's funny. The rest of the people don't. People that haven't been to Arizona don't realize that it's Goldwater everything. It's Goldwater Airport. It's Goldwater Street. It's Goldwater this. It's Goldwater Think Tank. It's Goldwater. <laughs> it's Goldwaterville. Well, listen, that's not, I have nothing to do with that. That was my dad. Uh, my family came to Arizona in 1850. Oh, that long ago. Yeah, a long time I didn't ago, know that. and they settled here. Uh, there were they were Jewish uh, peddlers. Uh, they had wagons full of pots and pans and Levi's and clothing, and they followed the miners over here and settled in 1850. And the Goldwaters have been a part of Arizona history. And uh, my uncle, who was president, was mayor of Prescott, Arizona, for 28 years, and he started the Constitutional Convention that round that found Arizona becoming a state on February 14, 1912. And, uh, and of course, my dad served in the Senate for over 30 years, United States Senate, and ran for president of the United States in 1964. Uh, I served in Congress for 14 years. So we've been a part of politics and part of government and part of the growth of Arizona. So there's a few things named after him, not me. But you know something? That in 10 cents will get you, won't even buy you a cup of coffee. No, but from, uh, you know, from somebody that comes to visit Arizona, you know that I'm a temporary worker here, you know, employed by the company that you are on our advisory board for. And, you know, um, it's, you know, it, there's definitely something historical there. People recognize that the name is something that made impact. And I think that you should be very proud of your dad. Oh, I am. I'm proud of my family. I was proud of my father. Uh, it was wonderful serving in Congress at the same time with my father. He was in the Senate and I was in the House of Representatives. That has not happened too much in the history of our country. It just so happened that the Symingtons from Missouri were also a father-son team at the same time. Right, right. But that was kind of, that was kind of fun. And I'll, I'll never forget my dad reminding me to, uh, to remember that I have this, the same name and be careful what I say. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I reminded him about the same thing for me too because a lot of people would ask me, why did you say that to the dad? I said, what do you mean my dad? <laughs> well, I, it seems to me that in person when I hang out with you, you have a different kind of personality. You're, um, there's a serious side of Barry and there's a playful side of Barry and the playful side of you is a lot of fun. You want to talk about the playful side a little bit? <laughs> we have five more minutes, so we might as well just end this one on. Tell, tell us about Barry the guy. You know, we know, we know that you're single, okay? Yeah. Um, you're quite the stud. Oh, well, I am. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I, I told you if I weren't married, I'd marry you and I'd send you running away. Well, you, you know, I don't think you got the stamina to keep up with me, Cindy. I don't know. I, I, see, we could always talk in hypotheticals, but, you know, we could debate that another time. But you do have a lot of stamina. You're looking great. Well, you know something, I, uh, I take care of myself. I, uh, I am, uh, how old am I, 67 now, and uh, I get up every morning with a positive attitude. I get on my knees and I ask God's help to, to guide me during the day. I get that positive attitude, and I go all day long scratching for a dollar and trying to take care of myself and my family. Uh, I love life. Uh, I eat well. I don't eat a lot of junk. No, absolutely I exercise three days a week. I am on a bioidentical hormone replacement program, so I'm strong as a bull. Uh, I love that. I've got that energy. My sex drives back. 
And how uh, long was it gone? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. It was gone a while, but by golly, I've got a lot of testimony to the fact that he, it's back. Uh, Big and feel, strong. It yeah. must feel really good. <laughs> well, it does feel good. <laughs> but, you know, take a number. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing you're talking about, you're getting back into the meat packaging industry. You, you know, your family started with the Goldwater Department stores, if I remember yeah, correctly yeah, in my research. Yeah, we've been in retail most of our lives. And, yeah, you mentioned uh, meat. I don't know anything about meat, but I got... Sausage. Uh, sausage. Uh, Daryl Waltrip, bo boogity boogity sausage. Uh I was able to get Daryl Waltrip, who's one of the best-known um, named uh, drivers in NASCAR, to endorse a line of meat products. And it's going to be called the Daryl Waltrip uh, Sausage or Boogity Boogity Sausage. And that's going to be, I think, very, uh, uh, very, very successful because you've got some 70 million loyal NASCAR fans but uh, it's all marketing. It's well, all selling. It is. And, and it doesn't matter name, whether it's a car or a piece of meat. It's all the same thing. And also the name, Boogity Boogity, is the kind of thing that people could do in water cooler conversation. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Everybody's going to be like, Boogity Boogity, I want my Boogity Boogity. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, move over to Jimmy Dean. Boogity Boogity. Daryl Waltz is coming into town. But those, uh, those products are in, uh, the brokers have them now. They're, they're, they're in talking to the grocery stores. I suspect you're going to see Daryl Walter meat products on the stand in the next two or three months. Well, we wish you congratulations. Yeah, that's, I mean. that's a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, I think life's, life's a challenge. And um, if you don't put in a good day's work, you're not going to be happy. Oh, I, so I agree with play that. Hard. I believe in playing hard and, and working hard. And you know something? I've probably lost more money than I've ever made. But uh, the fun, the fun thing that I enjoy is taking a risk, and uh, either winning or losing. But uh, getting up again and trying it again. It's true. I mean, not, uh, there's too, there are too many people in this world, and I think you agree with this, that are passive. We spoke about that politically before, and you know they get up and they're miserable and they complain and they have no love of life, no. Uh, motivation to get out of bed and do something different for the day. And I think we have to do something to change that. And we have about one minute left, so. Well, uh, I think you're right. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's like the, the debate now in Arizona, anyway, about minimum wage. And it just irks me in a way. Uh, I guess, you know, we have the minimum wage, so you're not going to back off that. But people want to increase it. And, and my my answer to that is minimum wage is a starting place for anybody. Uh, very few people stay in the same job at the minimum wage. That's that's just a launching place. And thank God there's a job at that price I agree that with you can you. get. That's where I'm a little Republican, but I'm going to have to cut you off now. We'll go on to our third segment, and we'll talk about that more because I think we really have a lot of commonalities in that subject. Thanks. New voices, new communities, new devices. VoiceAmerica.com 
Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E! Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rackandrollentertainment. That's R A K N R O L L Entertainment.com. Or call 1 818 597 0700. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for the Collegiate Athlete Today with your hosts Chris Krause and John Kerr. The Collegiate Athlete Today is an educational and informational program for everyone interested in college sports and recruiting. Their mission is to discuss the most relevant issues facing collegiate athletes in a compelling manner, utilizing current and former college athletes and experts in the field of college recruiting. Chris Krause, a former college athlete and founder of the National Collegiate Scouting Association, and his co-host John Kerr, a media expert and a collegiate scout for the NCSA, We'll cover topics including the landscape of college recruiting, the future of collegiate athletes, what college coaches are looking for, and the growing trend of women in sports. So join Chris Krause and John Kerr for the Collegiate Athlete Today, every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. How can you have a better life on your terms? You can have a better life because you can become better. Stop waiting for everything around you to change. Tune in every Wednesday at 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Voice America for Life on Your Terms with David Martin. David Martin, an internationally recognized speaker, will teach you what successful people are doing. So join us Wednesday at 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time for Life on Your Terms with David Martin. Right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Business, sport, religion, legal, pets, entertainment. You're listening to voiceamerica.com. Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 1-888-335-5204. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Yes, here's the host, Rack and Roll Public Relations and Chief Marketing Officer for SurfNet, um, Voice America, soon to have a name change. We have to keep it a secret for now, though. Shh. But you'll be hearing about that very soon. Um, I, I, I'll just give my listeners a little hint. We've become global, so Voice America might be a little bit too domestic for what we are. Um, but I can't tell you any more than that. And SurfNet Media, it's a little bit too 90s, don't you think, Bear? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> who am I? I don't know. <laughs> Listen, anything that we do to get into the news and show some excitement for the company that we're both involved in, is going to be a positive thing. You know that from the press. You know how to work the press. Yeah, but I don't think people listening know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, they do, because it's a show about PR. No, so, but I mean, they don't know who SurfNet is. Oh, I yeah. think that they do. I think that they do. They Because what they have to do is they go into Voice America. And I don't think they care. Of, let's put it that way. All right. Well, we'll stop with that subject yeah. because we're not we're not in the same ke- we're not in the same chemistry beat as we were before, like talking about <clears throat> minimum wage. I agree let's with you. Let's get back to my sex life. Let's get back to it. All right. Come on. Tell me. You know what? Tell me what you want to tell me about your sex life. Okay. Well, so you're you know, having sex again. How long has it been since you've been? Um, 
since you haven't been able to have sex. No, before, that's, right? no I'll tell you a story. Uh, stories are fun. Uh, yeah, so go, go ahead. Tell me you a story. Know, uh, when, I, when, I, uh, when I first got sworn into Congress, it took me an extra week to be sworn in uh, because I was accused of having an immoral relationship with a woman who I produced as a witness to my good character. <laughs> no, no, your stories are great. You know, I, and it was funny in Congress. I had a secretary who uh, didn't answer the telephone, and I, I got mad at her. And I said, "Listen, that's your job. You're supposed to answer the telephone." And she told me, she says, "I don't know. I don't know why. It's kind of silly. Nine times out of ten, it's for you." She didn't work there much longer. Yeah, I know. Well, listen, you know what? You're a busy guy. You write. You, you just told me that you've always written your own speeches. Yeah. Um, I, I think that goes back to the work ethic. I, we were discussing off air before that. Um, I'm very Republican in my point of view in terms of people having to work. I've seen a lot of people complain, get depressed, and not do anything about their lives, and they're laying on their asses, and they're not getting up and working. And I come from a family that's very work ethic oriented, yeah. and it's made me who I am today. And um, you know, I wish. More people. I don't understand why more people don't understand that they should be thankful what, for what they can get, minimum wage or not. Mm -hmm. They should be happy that they have a job. Well, you know, it, it, we live in a country where we really aren't equal. The only time we're equal is when we come out of the womb. And after that, we're on our own. And it's just human nature. There's some people that want it more than others. There's some people that have the breaks that other people don't have. But... Uh, as long as you get up and do a hard day's work, you take care of yourself, your family, you're going to have a decent life. Uh, we'll all have problems. I've had many problems. I've been broke and down and out, and I, but I've climbed back in that buggy, and it hasn't been easy. But uh, you make your own breaks. You make your own opportunities by being creative, by working hard, uh, by giving a little bit back to others who are less fortunate always having that hand extended. And it's that kind of attitude that we need more of. I Instead agree of sitting with that back entirely. On our butt and, and getting pissed off at, at George Bush or the Congress or our government, we should get out and do something ourselves. You know, uh, you want to uh, always remember that to keep climbing upwards because... It's definitely success is definitely in that direction. I think that's good. I think that's very good advice. Talk I about. Know, I know the reason you work hard. What's that? It's that so you can afford a good ransom in case you get kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, but if I was kidnapped, I wouldn't be able to get my money. I guess I don't know. <laughs> no, um, I, I just don't know any other way. Um, I if I'm not working, I get very nervous. I, I can't not work. It's a 24/7 thing. But that's my illness, not yours. <laughs> but um, mm -hmm. I want. I'd like to have a little bit more fun in life. But you know. I've had I've had some good times too. Well, tell me a story. I want to hear them. Oh, uh, your listeners. <laughs> they they know a lot about me. I don't have you on the air all the time. We want to hear how naughty you've been. Well, I've been a, I have had a look. I grew up in Queens, New York. Yeah. Um, you know that's why I know Ed. You work for Playboy. That can't be all innocence. Um, <laughs> you know what? Working for Mr. Hafner, U. M. Hafner, was one of the most blessed experiences in my life. I bet. Um, tell us you more. know. He, I mean, we all well, tell us some juicy stuff. All right. We don't want all this uh, 
you know, well, you know, well, you said you've met with him too, and you've commented on how intelligent he was, and some debates that you had. Oh, and, I, yeah, I've had some great debates with Hugh Hefner. You know, um, in addition to being in charge of marketing for Playboy Enterprises, I was also the president of the modeling agency, and that had a lot of fun, and you know, <laughs> fun and joy involved. Um, usually, if any of the girls we're going on an audition and I heard that the casting director put them on a casting couch. Uh -oh. They ended up on the Cindy Rakowitz castrating couch. Uh -oh. So it wasn't pleasant for them the next day. You know I'm a Jewish mama. I was the same way at Playboy. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I, the reason why I think I really flourished at Playboy is because I really believed what they believed in, and I know that you believe in a lot of the things that they believe in, yeah, in sex. terms of you know n not censoring things and yeah. you know freedom of speech, and you know I think that you know of the Playboy philosophy and all of the things that have touched upon in it, and even though you're a Republican, your libertarian thinking probably you know is right right on line with a lot of Hefner's beliefs that the government shouldn't be into whether or not uh, what kind of sex people are having. It's not you know, the government's business if a person is having yeah. anal sex. Uh -huh. Do you I mean you want to comment on that? Well, no, I, I'm, I admire Hugh Hefner because here's a guy who really started with nothing. And he had an idea uh, and launched his magazine with just a few dollars. And he stuck with it. He, had, he went through some real tough times. And now he has a has an empire, and you—that's the American dream. That is—that's just an example that we all can look at and say, "Hey, if he can do it, I can do it." Yes, and, and it doesn't matter whether it's uh, building a chip for a computer or launching a magazine. I've got friends who launch magazines here in Scottsdale, just one or two page rag, and now it's uh, thirty, forty, fifty pages with all this advertisement. But I watched them. My sister, for instance, started. A salsa business here in her own kitchen. That's uh, great. Ten years ago, uh, Joanne started this thing. She got this idea and started mixing salsa and uh, got a bottler over in California. And I remember seeing the first pallet of salsa come in to, uh, to her home. The truck pulled up in front of her home and blocked not only her driveway but two others. And they opened the door and I looked way at the front of the, end of the front of the truck and here was this small little pallet of salsa. Today, after 10 or 12 years, she's doing about 3 or $4 million in selling salsa all over the country. But she, I used to watch her go out and stand in, in those grocery stores and hand out samples of salsa and beg and, and plead for her groceries to put her product on her shelf. She worked very hard to get that, that salsa business out of her kitchen into the grocery store. And that's what Hugh Hefner did. No, you're right. And well, I love the entrepreneurial spirit that your family seems to have. There seems to be a lot of entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's just, that's typical. And, and we were talking about Hugh Hefner, and that's, that sort of reminded me that this is happening every day. Um, but you have to persevere, and well, you have to take the blows, and you have to take the humility, and sometimes you have to work for two years without seeing any money, or three years without seeing any money. Or well, you might even fail. Right. You know, and that's, uh, my, my grandfather came here from Poland uh, in 1850, all the way from Poland. They were run out because they were persecuted Jews. Right. And they came to Arizona, and they were willing to take the chance and the risk of failing in order 
to have the chance to succeed. And uh, they failed. My family went bankrupt at least three times. They landed in San Francisco. They went to the gold fields went bankrupt. They went back to San Francisco, went bankrupt. They came down to Los Angeles and were and went bankrupt. And they finally got into Arizona, and they worked hard and built a small uh, business that uh, and, and got involved in the community. I remember one story was told about my my uncle who ran a business up in Prescott. They were owed a bunch of money by the Vulture Mine in Wickenburg, mm-hmm. which is about 30, 40 miles northwest of here. And uh, they couldn't pay or wouldn't pay. And so my uncle came down and at gunpoint took over the mine, mined enough gold to pay his bill, and then gave the mine back to the miners. And uh, so this Well, is, but you know what? He has, in, you know, in Yiddish we call it seichel, you know. He, common sense, street smarts. Mm-hmm. Maybe that came with from the Jewish immigration, you know, that little um, oomph yeah. kind of stayed with the gold waters for all of these years, do you think? Oh, yeah. I yeah. think so, too. Do you consider yourself Jewish, Barry? No, I was raised Episcopalian, uh, but I have a, have a high respect for my heritage. And I have uh, I, I, one of the, the great things I enjoyed about politics is that the Jewish religion allows you to come into the synagogue and uh, give a political speech. Oh, absolutely. You well, know, the synagogue's kind of the, the center of the family and the community, and everything happens at the synagogue. You would never see that in an Episcopalian or a Catholic church. No, no. Well, the Catholic church, for sure, I mean, it doesn't like having outside points of view. It takes away from their power, but that's my opinion. No, but, I, but, 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 but the great thing about the synagogue was that you can go in there and, and give your pitch. They you can give your pitch. It's about business. And so I, have a, I have a high respect and regard for my Jewish heritage, and they've made a great contribution to the world, to the community. And uh, it just so happened that when my grandfather was here, uh, there were no Jewish women. There were no Jewish women. No Jewish women here. So he, went, he took the first Gentile off the train as she came down. She happened to be the first nurse to come to Arizona. And uh, and she he married her and so you know the the Jewish lineage was broken apart. So. Got it, got it. Well, we're going to continue about Jewish lineage and more. We're going to talk about what you're building to help out to help out people in education and all of that kind of stuff. And you're doing it right now. So until a break, okay. see you a little bit. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production of 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E! Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rackandrollentertainment. That's R A K N R O L L Entertainment.com. Or call 1 818 597 0700. Charity events, TV specials, radio. 
The first thing someone notices about you is your smile. A beautiful smile is more than just a beauty statement. It makes a statement about our personal hygiene, health, age, and socioeconomic status. A beautiful smile gives us confidence and allows us to laugh and converse freely. Each week, Dr. Bill Dorfman, affectionately known as America's Dentist or just Dr. Bill, and his co-host Mike Harrington, will begin the show with an interview of a celebrity or one of ABC's Extreme Makeover patients to discuss the impact their beautiful new smiles have had on their lives. Next, Dr. Bill will discuss the treatment rendered and outline its risks and benefits. The final part of the program will be devoted to questions and discussions with Mike and the listeners addressing Dr. Bill. Everyone would like a billion dollar smile. Here's a chance to learn what an impact a new smile has had on these patients and how you can improve your smile from America's leading smile expert. This is where your date with destiny has begun. This is your wake-up call. It is your birthright to be happy, prosperous, and abundant. Tune in to VoiceAmerica.com every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Wealth for You and Spirit with Carmen Day. This is the show about inspiring you to make positive changes in your life so that you may see how incredible your life is meant to be. Host Carmen Day and guests will discuss how to awaken your consciousness from an oftentimes battered and slumbering state to a spirited and wondrous one. Wealth for You and Spirit is not about religion. Instead, it shares with you the spiritual truths that encompass all teachings that may be misunderstood. So come and experience your date with destiny. Listen to Wealth for You and Spirit with Carmen Day every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Cleos. Call in now at 1-888-335-5204 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Pajamas. Yeah, well, yeah, I am in my pajamas. We were just talking about my outfit today, and um, Barry it's commented good looking. that it was very pajama-ish. But you know what? At Playboy, I wore pajamas every day to work. So I mean, you know, you got to dress like the boss does. Yeah. yeah you know, I kind of kept a lot of that clothing. I never understood. You never guess I was pajamas. But of course, you can afford not to. Uh, you know, actually, when we went to New York, we got him some Armani suits. He never looked like he was very comfortable in them. No. You know, it, it was too starchy for him, and he's not a starchy guy. All right, but we're going to go, you know, this is our last segment together, so we're going to have a little fun. Let's talk, tell me, you know, first of all, you told me that you were, you're, you're a comedian, you like telling jokes, and you're going to take a course in comedy. I think that's great. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> I, I don't claim to be a comedian, but I admire people who can stand up and, and tell jokes and be funny. Uh, and, in fact, I've decided to take a, a course out here at Scottsdale Community College, starts in September, on stand-up co- co- comedy, and so I may not ever be a comedy, but if I can learn the fundamentals, you know, the beat and the timing and that sort of thing. It's very hard. It's hard. It's hard. You know, I, I respect anybody hard. who can be a stand-up. You know what's good? Do you ever watch Larry David? Oh, I love that show. I mean, is he great oh. in terms of the timing and the oh. looks and the this and the that? He's just great. And it just goes on and on and on. I, I mean, that is a talent. Oh, well, you have you you do have sort of a, a comedy routine that we went through at dinner, and I, you know, <laughs> yeah, we we talked a little bit about the illegal aliens, and you had something very very funny to say about it. So I wanted oh. to share it with my listeners. You know, uh, that, that <laughs> is a, that is a very serious. Uh, Issue. It's really not that funny, is it's, it? It's not that funny. Okay. Although there's, you know, you, you can lighten it up a little bit, but 
you know, that's a very serious program. And, you know, the, the I don't know, uh, the solution to this thing doesn't lie here. It lies down in Mexico. The, the reason people are coming here from Mexico is because they can't earn a living in Mexico. There's no jobs down there. and it, I, But you don't hear the president, you don't hear any politician stand up and blasting uh, President Vicente Fox. No, they for, don't. For doing something about their economy. The problem with Mexico, and it's true in most of Central and South America, although it's getting better, there's always been a two-tiered class. There's been the very poor and the very rich. Right. The United States is blessed with a very strong middle class. And for a good economy to exist, you've got to have a strong middle class. And they've not built one in Mexico. They've deprived the average Mexican from getting a job. And that's the reason they're coming here. In and we don't hear anybody saying anything about that. And I, it just really gets me really mad because they're talking about closing the border and, you know, and, and throwing the employers in jail. You know, it's, it, they, they can't ever find these guys. They're all over the United States and they never can find them. And I thought I was <laughs> amazed that, uh, that we can track a cow from Canada for three years <laughs> down, down into the United States and, and right to the stall and right to the food that it was eating, and we can track the calves for three years down to the stall, down to the food, and yet we can't track and find 11 million aliens. And I thought, well, the solution there is to, every time a, a Mexican comes across the border, give them a cow. <laughs> you know? At least we'll be able to find out where they're at. <laughs> I think that's really cool. You that's, also we need, that's where we need leadership, and that's where we're not getting the leadership. No, I think that's true. I think that's you know, very it's true. It's all Band-Aid. There, there, there's one reason they're here is for economics, pure and simple. And it was on the, in, the, in the news the other night that that uh, Mexico's number one source of income is Mexicans sending money, American dollars, no, that's back so to true. Mexico. That's so true. That's, that, there's something sinful about that and, and wrong. And uh, we need more out of Washington. We need more out of our president. And point the finger down across the border and demand that they start doing something about it. I know. I agree with you. And we also talked a little bit about Iraq. And um, you actually had a very interesting answer about the need to have U.S. presence in countries that maybe running amok, and that's historic. And, um, you know, but you made a comment about the, you know, I, t I talked to you about the boys that were losing there that are just really trying to serve their country, and you um, minimized it, um, but I think with some intelligent words. Well, Cindy, uh, I'm basically an isolationist. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't, I think the United States is stay home and take care of its own country and only get involved when it has some economic or direct threat to our country. And sometimes we, we tend to stretch it. But today, we're a global world and we, and we can't really ignore that. And, and it was brought home when uh, those airplanes went into those twin towers on 9-11 and 3,000 Americans were lost. Uh, that's why we're over in the Middle East. That's why we're in Afghanistan. We're in Iraq. Uh, now, is that is what we're doing the correct course? To be honest with you, I don't think so. The answer is not winning in Iraq, although I think the objectives of trying to bring uh, democracy or a republic or a representative government to the Middle East is worthy 
but I'm not sure that's our mission in life to, to nation build. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. Well, the solution to the, the problem in the Middle East is Israel and the Palestinians. Which is happening, which is really in the news right now because of the Gaza Strip, as you know. It's yeah. all over CNN this but, moment. You know, you, you wonder, here we're fighting in Iraq. We don't hear anything from Saudi Arabia, from Jordan, from Syria, from Lebanon, from any of those Middle East uh, countries. We don't hear them. I mean, they're standing by watching. Now, why aren't they involved? Why aren't they... Tell me. We certainly do a lot of oil trading with well, them. Well, the reason so. is, is because they'll all tell you the same thing. Until Israel and Palestine come to, to some kind of peaceful terms, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's this is going change. on for millions if, if we, of if, years, though. I mean, Here again, is... if the president and the other nations would get involved in helping to find a, a good solution for, between Israel and the Palestinians, all of us, the Europe, the Russians, the Americans, all get together to help Israel and Palestine find a common thread and bring peace to the Middle East right there. These terrorists in, in Iraq, and they're going to disappear. That is the problem. I agree That's with that. That's the nut of what's going on over there. And until that Israel-Palestinian thing is solved, uh, we're going to be in Iraq forever. Are we going to see that in our lifetime, Barry, do you see think? what? Uh, the Palestinian-Israel <laughs> resolution. Well, I wouldn't hold your breath because, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the people in the Middle East have been fighting each other. Yeah, for, I mean, it goes a long time. Mohammed climbed yeah. up into the mountain. And uh, there's always been a war there because they're mostly Bedouin tribes, Bedouin, Bedouin people. They have these little fiefdoms, and they've always been fighting each other. And I'm not sure that's going to change right away, but... Again, it gets down, at least that's the scapegoat now. That's right. the solution now. There's always a scapegoat. There's always somebody to blame. And until, but until that, that, that this Palestinian Israeli situation is, is solved, uh, we're going to be fighting in the Middle East, and I'm wondering, again, whether it's worth it. Okay. Well, let's talk about two more things that is very, it seem to be very important to you, yeah. energy and education. Let's talk about energy, because <coughs> um, you're very involved in it. You're... Well, you know, I, I think we all ought to be concerned about energy. We're dependent on oil. We're an oil economy. And uh, that can't continue, especially when we're held hostage to foreign imports. We've got to, and here again, we're not getting the leadership from the President or from the Congress uh, to move us toward a sustainable energy. In other words, using uh, energy sources that can be replenished like crops, corn, soybeans, things like that. Uh, our forests are a good example. Uh, environmentalists get all pissed off and, and they get all upset about cutting down a tree. We ought to be cultivating our trees like we cultivate crops. Or salmon. Or salmon, you know. <laughs> oh, you had to look at me for a minute. <laughs> well, salmon and trees, I was like, wow, wow, where'd that come from? But uh, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of resources in our forests, and if we take care of them and, and, and cultivate them, you know, we cut them down, we replant them, let them grow back, we keep the forest clean. There's, a there's sources of energy there. There's sources of products. Uh, the whole sustainability is important. How we use our land, how do we build our homes so they're energy efficient. Uh, uh, the whole area of biotech and bioproducts, using cleaners and solvents that are made from corn and soybeans instead of fossil fuel. We've got to get away from fossil fuel. Uh, because it's killing our environment and we won't it have It is killing place. our environment. It's killing us. 
and we're and politically, internationally, it's, it's not not a good thing. So I'm enjoying working on that. Uh, and um, you're building some, you're contributing to some education centers about energy and with ASU. Well, Arizona State University under Michael Crow is uh, wants to build a college of sustainability, and I'm getting involved in that, uh, and that's to teach people about new ways of living. You and Al Gore have that commonality. I think that Al Gore really... Well, I did, but I didn't invent it, though. So. I know. Well, we, we like your point of view. We have 30 seconds left. The show went so fast. I, I can't even ask you any more jokes. I was going to ask you what the appropriate term for a lesbian, the politically correct term for a lesbian was, and I think you have an answer. It's called a vegetarian. A vegetarian. <laughs> I think that you have a lot of promise in stand-up comedy, Barry. I mean, you are a funny guy. You have a great presence. When you walked into the room the first time I was in a meeting with the SurfNet folks, I mean, you're big, tall, handsome, and I'm really glad that you joined me today. And now I'm getting the music, and they're cutting us off, and I could have had you on for another hour. Really, Uncle Barry, thanks. Thanks for being on the show today. Uh, it's nice to be on your show, Cindy. I wish you a lot of luck with it. Okay. Well, listen, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific time for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. We'll see you next week. Fantasy.